homeschool expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast. Hi, friend, and welcome to Homeschool Expert. I'm so glad you're here to join my conversation with Judy Sarden, homeschool consultant and former attorney, talking about the subject of how parents can balance career and homeschooling. Judy, thank you so much for joining us today for this timely and much needed conversation. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to talk about it because this is my favorite subject. Yeah, that's so great. So <laughs> I want to talk about the con- the quandary that parents are in of balancing career with homeschooling. Um, but first, I'll throw out some data for the listeners. So homeschool expert recently conducted a national survey and found that 42% of parents are reducing or eliminating work hours in order to school their children from home during COVID. And that can include traditional as well as remote learning homeschool models. So given that, I'd love to hear more about your career, your educational background, Judy, and how you perceived homeschooling prior to becoming a parent versus maybe how you look at it now. Yeah. So, well, I, um, I grew up, you know, very traditional household. I was told I was going to college from day one. And in fact, I was told I was going to be a doctor and, uh, I, you know, I was, I had to take Latin in high school, which was very uncool even back then Mm -hmm. uh, to help me in medical school. Uh, My mom put me in medical explorers. I did everything medical. And then I got to college and decided I didn't want to go into medicine. I would be an engineer because that was also still acceptable to my mother. And you know what? Two years in, I said, I hate this. And I decided I was going to change my major and I changed it to a new major. I'm going to date myself when I say this. I, right. uh, <laughs> I changed it to human resources management. That was, yeah. a, it was, that was a new term back when I was in college. Um, before then it was personnel, but, uh, it was the first time there was a new major in human resources and, um, you know, I did that. I went to a huge Southern university in Alabama. And after I graduated in 92, which, you know, the economy at that point had really tanked. So I decided, you know, I'm going to go to law school because at least three more years of school means I don't have to, you know, get a job (laughs) I don't want. And it means I don't have to go back home. Yep. Um, And so I went to law school and I ended up practicing law. Um, for about 20 years. Oh, wow. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. What kind so, of, and what kind of law were you practicing? I, um, I started off doing real estate. May, um, I worked with a de- large department store company. So I was doing large real estate deals, like 150, 200 page document, uh, real estate deals and, yep. uh, employment law. And then I ended up being a corporate transactional lawyer. So mostly did a lot of contracts and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's how I ended up. And it's funny you ask about homeschooling because I had children late in life. I got married late. Um, I was in my mid thirties when I got married and I had the children when I was knocking on 40 mm-hmm. and I never planned to homeschool them. Um, they were in private Montessori school and we had, I had been doing, you know, the private school beauty contests for years because 
here in Atlanta, in order to get in the top ones, you usually end up being on long wait lists. And so you really have to know exactly which one you're going to apply to. You have to start making connections. (laughs) So literally you call it a beauty pageant. It does. It feels like that or or like online dating. I know, I remember when our third kiddo was born in the Bay Area, the nurses actually telling me in the delivery room within hours of her birth, you know, you need to start getting on wait lists for preschools in the area. And I just stared at them. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, It's competitive. It, it's true. And so I was, you know, I was caught up in that. In fact, um, it was so competitive here in Atlanta. You basically got on the list once you got past 20 weeks of pregnancy. Yeah. Oh gosh. So, yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. And so I was caught up in all of that. And, um, it never occurred to me to homeschool because only certain types of people homeschooled. And I wasn't that type of person. <laughs> you didn't wear denim overalls or grind no. your own flour for making bread. Yeah. I grew I up in that world. Not. That was the norm. So yeah, I did not, I'm not no. trying to make fun. I'm just saying that was my world. <laughs> but you know, but it's true. And that's kind of, um, you know, there, there's a meme going on around right now where you've got the ladies in the denim jumpsuits and the, the white scarves over their head. And, you know, that's kind of what people thought about homeschoolers back in the old days. So, um, I admit I was one of those mm-hmm. and, um, never occurred to me until it was time for my oldest to go to school. And he's a boy, he's a very active boy and, you know, he's an African-American boy. And, you know, if you look around at what's going on today, there's a huge dialogue about um, African-American treatment of children in general, but particularly in schools and the education. And we live now, we currently live in a blue ribbon school district, but I know anecdotally and from statistics that my son is not going to get the same education at the local school that my neighbor's school child is going to get. And so it just became clear as I kind of honed in on making my selection on, you know, the top schools that I wanted to apply to, um, that he wasn't going to get what I felt he needed at either our Blue Ribbon public schools or any of the private schools I was looking at. And so homeschooling became, (laughs) for the first time ever, it, 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 it was on the table. Right. And yeah. And I can validate those numbers too. Um, when I taught in Durham, North Carolina, where if you, if I looked at the spectrum of students across campus, it was very much a mixed campus, people from all different backgrounds and races and faiths and what have you. And when I taught my standard level classes, which was the lowest level entry level class, it represented, um, the diversity, except minus all the Caucasian kids for the Mm -hmm. most part. And then when I taught the honors level classes, it was the flip. It was primarily Caucasian students and just the smallest percentage of non-Caucasian of any background, Mm -hmm. Latino, African-American, whatever. And I'm not the one scheduling these classes. I'm not the one who determines who takes it. I just show up to teach and I'm handed a roster, but it was really apparent this is, this shouldn't, statistically, this is, doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Like it, these numbers shouldn't be that far off. So for those listening who may not have experience in the classroom or think maybe 
you know, they're not sure how to hear this side of the story. At least from my experience, I can absolutely validate your concerns that, yeah, how is he going to be perceived in the classroom? Whether or not someone even intends a negative perception, it exists and how to get him a great education. So that's a great question um, that you were asking. Can you tell me more about your kiddos too, before we go farther, which grades uh, they're in and and how, like, are all of your kids homeschooled? Do you have one child? How, what does that look like? I have two. And um, when I started homeschooling, my oldest was going, he was five. So he's starting kindergarten. And my baby was three and a half. Mm-hmm. And I've been homeschooling them ever since. And now uh, my son is in eighth grade and my daughter is in sixth. Fun. That's very yeah. fun. Well, if you consider having two middle school aged kids fun, sure, it is fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's probably a whole other podcast. We should do one on middle schoolers sometime. I know when I chose which which uh, grade level to teach, um, I was fine with elementary and I was fine teaching high school. But there was something about that junior age win- junior high age window. I just thought I don't think I have the chops for that one. Versus when I met yeah. teachers who love that age range, like they don't want to do kindergartners and hold hands to the bathroom, and they don't want high school students and the driving permits. <laughs> They're like, give me junior hires. So, you know, every teacher's got their preference. Right. So, yeah. So I want to go back to your story, though, about uh, law and that decision, because that is a big decision. I don't want to just jettison over the top of it. Um, I have relatives who practice law full time, and that is a significant achievement to pass the bar, to enter the field of law, to become established 20 years. Right. Um, so I would imagine it's not a popular decision to give up a hard earned paying career to enter homeschooling. And for what it's worth on a much smaller scale, I know I was questioned for applying to teach in the public school system because of my educational background. They were suspicious. Why would somebody who went to those universities Mm. teach in a public school system? So I can only imagine what sort of questions you got as an attorney. So that's meant really as a compliment for your courage more than anything um, that I want to recognize and hear more about what you encountered and learn about your thought process as you worked through your options. Cause I know that's really relevant to what parents are working through today. Yeah. So when I initially um, decided to homeschool, I decided literally seven months before I was going to start because of course, type A, I had to plan. Uh, so I had seven months. I, I announced to um, my mother and my poor husband in December what I was going to do. And, but I told them I was going to start in August of the following year. Mm-hmm. So um, that gave everybody enough time. And um, I'm just going to have a real conversation here. Yeah. yeah. I, it, was, it was a significant hit. Um, mm-hmm. I was making seven, you know, a six figure salary. And, um, we lived in a house that, um, required my, uh, my six figure salary. I always intended to do contract work. Um, but you know, as far as I had to, I had always been in house corporate. And so, you know, establishing a customer base, I was not, uh, licensed in Georgia. I was licensed in three other States, but not Georgia. And Mm -hmm. so developing a practice here in Georgia would not have been able to do that. So, I always plan to continue to work. So I was able to do contract work through an agency here um, in Atlanta. So I continued to work, but, you know, it never, we always knew that I was not going to be, you know, 
bringing in consistently what I was bringing in before. So, um, I did, you know, made the decision in January, got the house ready and put it on the market in February. We had to sell the house. Wow. That's a big decision. Um, And so, yes, it's a big decision. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, again, going back to the statistics, it was either me or my child. Mm -hmm. Um, so we could have continued to live, live where we lived, but I was afraid because of the, you know, the circumstances surrounding, you know, having a black son, um, in the schools, it was either me or him. And so it was either rather not me or him. It was the stuff or him. Right. Um, so I, you know, the decision was made that it was, it was, we were putting a vote for for our children instead of the stuff. Um, we ended up uh, getting rid of my Mercedes. It was paid Mm -hmm. off with the maintenance on it. You know, (laughs) you know, basically we, we downsized, we still, you know, lived fine, but we, we downsized, we had to downsize. So Mm -hmm. that that was a very real and very tangible, (laughs) um, decision that we made as a family in order to pull it off. Um, so I did that. And like I said, I did, I had the contract legal work and, um, I was starting a business also at the same time. So it was, it was a lot, it was a lot more than I anticipated because I had two little kids. I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old and, you know, at that age, they still really need to be watched all the time. Yeah. Um, I had put together a block schedule. I had the day you're going to laugh. Anyone who has children going to laugh at this. Uh-huh. But I had the day scheduled in 15 minute increments. <clears throat> We've all, all of us type A people have attempted that. Don't feel bad. I attempted it with four kids. I really looked stupid at the end of it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so that didn't work. Um, and so it took me a while, you know, to figure it out. And, you know, that's part of what I do now. I, I do work with, you know, parents who have businesses or who are trying to juggle educating the children and their, um, and their jobs, their work, because I've been there. And mm-hmm. you know, I've made the mistake. I've dropped the balls. Um, yes. and so I, cause you can't do it all. Um, you, you can't do it all. Um, you so really can't. yeah, nobody is superhuman. We like to think those people exist so we can feel guilty about not yeah. being one, but no, yeah, yeah. You, you really can't. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a huge decision. And so, yeah, a lot of people, most people outside of our family couldn't, understand how I could have walked away. And even from a, from, I'm good. I keep bringing my culture in, but from a cultural standpoint, mm-hmm. um, I'm 50. And when I went to school, I was one of the first kids that integrated the Birmingham city schools. Mm. You know, I was bused across town in a public, you know, transportation bus, which nobody would think of putting their seven-year-old on these days. But I, my mom put me on a bus, a public transportation bus. And I was bused across town. Um, to go to the best schools. I always went to the best schools. My parents sacrificed because I was a first generation of black folks who could go to whatever school they wanted to. Mm-hmm. First generation of black folks who could apply to any university, including my big Southern one and be accepted and go. And, and then the first generation of black folks who could get a job anywhere. Right. So it was more than just, Oh, you went to law school. How could you throw that? Um, that education away. It was in addition to that, oh my gosh, all these sacrifices that were made for you so that you could, you know, end up where you were. I was at a fortune 100 company. I was, mm-hmm. you know, 
my first job out of law school, I was in-house at a Fortune 100 company. I worked at a venture capital firm in Alabama. Um, I you know, was working at a large corporation here in Atlanta. And so how could you turn your back on these opportunities right. when so many people have sacrificed to put you there? So it was huge. It was a huge thing. And then also to pull my kids out of the public school, they never were there, but to not put them there. Also, again, people had fought so, so hard to get there. Yeah. And so again, you're turning your back instead of turning your back, leave your kids in and work to make them better. You know, so yeah. it was, it was huge. Um, I can understand how initially that would seem that you were abandoning what had been accomplished so far to date for yourself versus the other perspective, which is no, if anything, you are pushing ahead that legacy that was handed to you of, I will do everything possible to ensure that my child has the best chance possible, which is exactly what sounds like, right? It was done for you with your parents on the bus, which was done for so many others and lawmakers. And you are a continuation of that piece, but because it looks different than what it had looked like historically, it feels like an abandonment when it's not. It's like, no, this is, this is, this is part two (laughs) of what needs to happen now. Well, what I always say, you know, when you're talking about uh, the feminist movement or this, I think that all the movements happened because we wanted a choice. Mm -hmm. And so if I choose to stop doing what I'm doing, that's my choice. And I thank the people who came before me to allow me to have the choice. You're exercising that freedom. That's so true. Yes, that's a good way the, to the, the, the choice. And so thank you for that. I can choose to be a high powered corporate attorney um, whose kids are in childcare 11 hours a day, or which was the case before I uh, stopped. Um, or I can choose to, you know, now focus, I'm in a different season in my life. And now I need to focus on you know, raising my children for the next generation. And now mm-hmm. I have the choice to do that as well. And then if yeah. I decide down the road that I want to go back, I have that choice too. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so that choices. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to frame it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many students, uh, which means of course, so many parents in this position right now. Um, like we mentioned earlier, the 42% who have of parents who have um, reduced work hours or given up jobs. But what that translates to in terms of number of students is that there are 40 million students now learning from home nationwide, most of whom were not before, right? The homeschool movement had mm-hmm. maybe about 2 million students before mm-hmm. COVID. Now we're talking 40 million, which is the entire population of California, mm-hmm. just to put it in perspective. So then what advice would you have for parents who are trying to strike the balance between work at home and school at home? It sounds like you were able to pull back from work almost entirely and you had seven months to plan, which was awesome. A lot of the parents right now either haven't had the, the month to, months to plan or they may not even have the option of pulling back as completely as it feels like it, it needs to, to help their kids versus mm-hmm. how much their employers will allow them. Right. So how it's a dance. How do you want to coach them on that part of the dance? Well, one of the main things that I do when I do work with families is encourage them to focus on what's important. Mm-hmm. And when I say what's important, you know, schools, it's, it's funny because I know people, whose kids are done with school in, you know, two hours. And I know people whose kids are online for six hours a day or seven hours a day. The schools Mm -hmm. are really trying to make an effort to create an entire school at home simply just on the computer. Yeah. Um, When I see that, there's clearly a lot of busy work going on. 
I, mm-hmm. um, because you know, and I know it just doesn't take six hours for a second right. grader. Yeah, not at all. It's more like an hour and a half of work. Yes. Yeah. And so what I say is I focus on, is, is I tell parents to focus on what's important. Everybody's worried about, oh my gosh, my kids are going to get behind. And mm-hmm. let's focus on what's important. You know, at the end of the day, up until really sixth grade, what, what's important? Reading. They need to learn how to read. They need to know how to comprehend <laughs> what they're reading. And they need to learn math sense and learn math. Yeah, it goes back to the three R's, right? Reading, writing, math. If you're doing that, you're, you're probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what's important. And that's one of the reasons why when I work also when I work with families, I say, let's look at your kids. Um, what are your, what are your child's interests? Uh, let's get them outside. And especially it's really difficult now, depending on where you are, but to the extent that you can get outside, take a hike, um, even if it's on the weekend, you know, you can call that science. Let's go, go for a hike. Let's look at the leaves. Let's, you know, research some leaves when we get back home. Let's pull some, uh, let's know what, what the poisons are. And so let's, let's, let's pick the ones that are not poisonous and let's go home and look at them. And I, what I really encourage people to do is focus on the three R's and then everything else is gravy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, and so many, so many of the parents I see are worried too on a, from a financial perspective of like, so those thinking, wow, I wish I could homeschool, but I don't have a thousand dollars to buy curriculum for each of my oh, students. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you doesn't, it, I mean, this is not to, uh, to jab anybody in the curriculum world, but that doesn't take all that. Like you it certainly doesn't. can buy fabulous curriculum. It's really extraordinary. Or you can get a math book and a library card and be really intentional about that library card and still provide an excellent yes. education. Have you seen yeah. that also? Yes. Um, I, I talk to people a lot, you know, I, I do get the frantic, um, mom who just really doesn't have, um, just doesn't have the, you know, the financial wherewithal to buy or to buy curriculum or she, she thinks she can't homeschool. And what I tell people are two things. The only thing you need to homeschool are the first thing is um, childcare, but everybody needs, everybody needs backup childcare. I needed to, mm. I had to go to the hospital the other day and I called mm. another mom and I was like, Hey, I got to go to the hospital. Can you come pick the kids up? She's like, yeah, yeah go. I left yeah. the kids here. And she sent her husband over here to get the kids. So awesome. whether you are full-time stay at home mom or not, everybody needs backup child care. Yeah. Some sort so, of community to reach out to. Yeah. Yes. And so that's one of the community building a community is one of the first things I work on with all of my clients. Um, so if you want to homeschool, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you think you have, you need to have that community. I don't care if it's grandma, it could be a a neighbor who can watch your kids during the day or while you work, whatever time that is. Um, And then you can homeschool in the times that you're not. Or if you want to grab an online program, I just signed my kids up, honestly, for Discovery Education Tech Book. It's science and history. It's $45 for the entire year. Awesome. Complete. So that's science and history. That's um, a great price. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even... You want to say, say the name of it again in case parents are trying to oh, yeah. capture that. So uh, it's called Discovery Education Tech Book. 
And um, you have to access, as a homeschooler, you can go to Homeschool Buyers Co-op and you can get an yep. If you're familiar with that, I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's, it's actually a link on our site. If listeners want to go to the resources link, we've got Homeschool Buyers Co-op on there so that you can find it fast. Because yeah. it's a long, like when you, you have to get in all the hyphens and stuff when you type it out. So yeah. yeah. So if you go there, um, you can, oh, well, then since you have that, that, at, that resource on your website, that's like the go-to if you want to get stuff cheap and low cost, yeah. have some free stuff on there. Um, then that's where I got, that's where I got the, um, the subscriptions and it's like, it's $45 total, uh, for science. So both of my kids are on it. They have assignments, they have tests, they have videos. They, the whole lesson is set up. I don't even have to do it if I don't want to, and I can, if I want. And so it's finding resources like that. So really anybody tell people any budget can do it. So you need, the first thing you need is childcare. And you can find childcare. You might have to think outside of the box, but um, finding childcare, you know, you go in with a couple of neighbors to to pay one neighbor to watch your kids. Um, they could do their tech book. They could do a couple of things while you're at work, and then you can help them for an hour or two after you get up work, just like you would help them with homework. And and that's all that that's all it takes. We've done kids swaps too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you see families doing that where either for a full day of the week or like you get the morning shift, I get the afternoon shift. And um, even in COVID, this is possible if parents agree ahead of time on whatever the health standards and exposure risks and such are going to be. But then um, it's great because not only do I get a chunk of time where I have no children so I can get work done, then I also have a chunk of time where I have children who have friends over, which frankly, I think is so much easier than children with not friends over a lot of times because they got a buddy, they got something fun, they're excited and um, it's great. So yeah, for parents who are really budget constrained, that's an example of what you're talking about for us anyway, of thinking outside the box. Yes. And so that's all you need. You need the first thing is childcare. And then the second thing is you know, you'd probably spend more money if your kids, if your kid was in public school with all the mm-hmm. teacher's gifts, the the dress up days, the science projects and all of this. Um, some people I've worked with them and I'm like, if you can budget $50 a month, $50 the first month, buy the math, mm-hmm. just buy the math. And then, like you said, everything else you can do for free at the library. And then if the next month you want to buy something else, buy it, then it doesn't all have to be bought up front and you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars per kid. Um, you could, I mean, a lot of people do it for a hundred, $200 for the whole year. And so it's just a matter of figuring it out and thinking outside of the box. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and so then you had a second part, you had said you wanted to talk about uh, the community aspect as well as where to find yes. some of this. Yes. Yes. So it was a, the first, the first thing was the, um, was finding community and getting the childcare. And the second thing was, um, figuring out how to do it economically. And this yeah. is and striking that balance. Uh-huh. And this is how it yeah. can be accessible to anybody. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I'm living this out right now. I I did an interview this morning with somebody and, and he wanted to know if I was for, you know, am I for real or am I this single person who has no kids who's telling people how to homeschool? It's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, no, I am starting a business. I have four kids. One of them in high school is doing remote learning online. So we've got all that schedule challenge to deal with, right? If he does have hours and hours of zoom Mm -hmm. classes, 
their Canvas classes. And then I've got three uh, younger than him who are all doing the privatized homeschooling. And so I know it. I know how to contrast the two worlds. We're doing work on weekends and evenings. And it, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's doable. Yeah. Um, I'm not binge watching Netflix like my friends with <laughs> no right. kids right now, right. but it's totally doable. And they're still getting a solid education. And it was sweet. My, my high schooler came to me the other day and he goes, mom, I know COVID's not fun for anybody, but I really like, I really kind of like being here all day and doing my work here. And we don't have to run around all the time. Like, this is actually kind of nice. Uh, bless your heart. That, like even this far in, you can see that. Um, so I think in retrospect, we're all going to learn a lot from this season. And I, I would be curious though, um, and I haven't prepped you for this question ahead of time. So feel free to pass if you want. But Homeschool Expert really tries to reach families no matter wh- what kind of homeschooling they're doing. Remote online learning through the public school, you know, online classrooms with a private, traditional privatized homeschool, whatever. We're here to help with a variety of resources. But from your own experience, which do you think is easier? A lot of parents are saying, oh, I could never organize the content. I'd rather plug them into the public school because that's easier. Um, versus the privatized homeschoolers saying, oh my gosh, I could never sit next to my kid for five hours at the kitchen table on Zoom. Uh, what? How do you help counsel parents through that question mark of which is easier? Well, I think that a lot of people who are in this COVID situation, and I really call it pandemic schooling if you're just kind of, yep. you know, kind of going with the flow, because it really is very different from actually homeschooling. But a lot of parents are finding themselves be really frustrated mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it is a lot. Uh, just just anecdotally talking to people because my I live in Georgia, so you know we've been open since May. <laughs> so my kids have been playing sports since May. We've had a full oh, baseball great. season and tennis tournament. Don't tell my kids that they still can't <laughs> play soccer. Don't tell them that. Yeah. So, uh, but anecdotally talking to the kids. Um, I have talked to kids who said that the online public school is too much because they are on school on, on the computer six hours a day. Uh, most of the private schools are also doing full days online. Um, and, it, and it's a lot. It's a lot. The children are having meltdowns. It's too much screen time. And so a lot of those moms are now beginning to turn to what, which they, they thought that the, online virtual school from the school system was going to be the the answer. But a lot of people are now, you know, a month in, five weeks in here are beginning to pull out because it's too much pressure, they say. Um, I think it's, some people might not believe it initially until they've experienced kind of the full throttle of it. Um, But it's easier to put together your own thing. As I tell people, if you want to buy a curriculum, there are several that you can buy that tell you exactly what to do. Right. Um, I have just, I use Asana, which is a project management software, also free. You can get the free version. That's the one I use. Um, A-S-A-N-A, Asana. Um, and I put the kids schedule in there. I just, you know, sit down on a Saturday or Sunday. I kind of go through all the stuff that they have. And I'll tell them, you know, do this one, do this assignment, do this assignment. And they can access it on their phone. It pushes out to their Google calendar and they can access it on their phone and they just do it. 
And if they have questions, they come and ask me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're older, of course. Um, and there are different ways that I work with people who have younger children. It depends on if the child can read and things like that on how you can manage their schedule. But like I'm sitting here on this podcast and you don't hear a sound. My husband is working here and the children are here. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's doable. Every situation is different. Um, and so we have to work on, you know, every person's situation, but putting together your own schedule, which allows you more flexibility mm-hmm. is infinitely <laughs> easier. How much nicer to be in control of your time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 um, one of my kiddos, so I signed, I wanted to understand what's going on with the online classes. So much like you, I picked one this year, even for my homeschool kids, which was a science online, meets one day a week for an hour. And I thought, I just want to see how this is working mm-hmm. so I can better speak to parents on the subject. And there are many things they love about it. Um, but even my fourth grader yet just yesterday came to me and said, mom, um, I, I met a new friend, but we never get to talk to each other oh, during class yeah. because it has always be about science. And so for parents who have chosen to do a lot of remote learning or pandemic um, homeschooling, uh, they did so hoping it was going to meet social needs for their kids Mm -hmm. who are isolated during COVID. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, as we get farther into this, we're going to find it's not really meeting the need the way we want to. And um, if that's the primary reason parents are choosing remote learning, um, you know, there there are other ways (laughs) to get social needs met still using online, but just not in a classroom setting potentially. Well, it's, it's difficult, you know, after the first month of COVID and the isolation, because we were locked down here for about a month, <laughs> but by the end of that month, my kids didn't want to have anything to do with Zoom um, because all, all of their classes that they were taking had gone online because um, we they do a co-op. So their co-op classes yep. had gone online and then people were organizing. Some moms actually put together play dates. So twice yep. a week they would, the kids would just sign on and they would play, they would talk, they would dance, they'd listen to music and, um, or they'd play Roblox together while looking at each other. And then that was fun. But even that got old after a while. Um and, and now they, they really don't want to have anything to do with an online class. But mm-hmm. my son does take three online classes. Yeah. Um, they, he takes Spanish with folks in Guatemala. He takes cool. writing with um, a lady who loves middle schoolers. <laughs> and, um, and what else does he take? He has another one that I mentioned your science doing. history. They're doing the the- science and history on the... Discovery uh, textbook. Yeah. Oh, he takes math. He does Mr. D math <laughs> for algebra because I'm done. With, I'm done teaching. <laughs> I know. And my oldest hit pre-calc. He's like, what do you mean you don't remember pre-calculus, mom? I'm like, yeah, yeah honey, that no. was 20 years of not using that yeah. information. And, and, Long I gone. <laughs> and I don't want to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think we're going to learn more about the remote learning and how that uh, is helpful or isn't helpful. And like, I, I, I have personal bias obviously because I chose to homeschool, but that's because it takes so much less time. Um, and when I first, I, I'm sure you've run into this too in counseling parents when I, the beginning of COVID, when I was first talking to parents about what they can access and what resources are available, when I outlined for the parents of elementary students, what a homeschool day actually looks like, 
Yeah. They were stunned to disbelief. Yes. Yes. I said, no, I don't want my child to, to fall behind. An hour and a half yes. a day is not enough schoolwork. Yes. I want them to stay ahead. And I said, yes. that's not a fall behind number. That's actually probably going to put them ahead yes. of their peers. Yes. And they're like, there's no way it can be that easy. Yes. It's like, um, yeah, it, it really is not that as hard as people think it's going to be. Yes. But that's yeah. the privatized model. It's a whole different ball game when you're accountable to the school district or the state. Uh, you know, checking their boxes, filling their hours and seat time. Well, and you have to, they have to fill the hours every single day. And so they, they have, have to figure out a way to fill the hours instead of just being done when you're done. Yeah. The accountability is necessary. Anytime the state's taking money for their education system, they have like having been on the teacher side of that, I completely respect why it's necessary. It's not Absolutely. that anybody's trying to punish kids and put them in a seat and, you know, without cause it's, they have to have that accountability in place. And so to the extent parents can take on the accountability, it opens up all kinds of options. So um, if if I could have you in a time machine then, if you were going to go back to the beginning and counsel yourself about your career homeschool balance, what would you tell yourself that you think might be relevant to folks listening? Well, actually speaking to your point, I mean, when I first had my day scheduled but in 15 minute increments with a <laughs> three and a five-year-old, I mean, I had us doing school from eight to three. And I understand now how ridiculous that was. But one of the things that I tell people all the time, and I talk about this when I'm doing my workshops, is manage your expectations and really focus on what's important, um, what's really important. So, for example, um, my son, like a lot of boys, hates creative writing. Mm-hmm. And so if you give him a writing prompt that says, imagine you're a purple butterfly and <laughs> write about your day. Yep. He's going to have a meltdown and I don't care what kind of yelling and screaming and gnashing of teeth occurs. You're probably not going to get a paper written about him as a blue butterfly or purple butterfly. It's not going to happen. Or so, it could be 25 lines of, I hate purple butterflies. I hate purple <laughs> yes. butterflies. You're like, that's not what I asked you to do. <laughs> so, you know, but I, so then you have to look, okay, let's manage our expectations rather than having this really meaningless writing assignment. Um, you know, what, what is important? What's important is that my son learns how to write. So boys in particular, like, tend to like their creative writing boys, but the average boy, the typical boy, statistically boys like, I mean, just think about men. What do men like to do? They like to um, solve problems. So mm-hmm. if I ask him, can you write me a paragraph with detailed instructions on how to fix a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? That was actually one of the first true writing that I got out of him. Mm-hmm. Because he could write about that. He could write about something that he personally knew as a little seven-year-old. Yeah, that's so um, great. And so what was so again, managing the expectations. The expectation is that he learns how to write. Um right. He right. Is, is unless he's going to go into a creative field, if he is going to go into a creative field of his brain is that way, he's going to love the assignment about the purple butterfly. But it's very clear by age seven. He's not that that kid. And so let me let him write. Or he, if we did a history assignment, he could give me a summary of what we discussed. Mm-hmm. And so as instead of making writing a separate subject, writing now becomes part of our, of whether it's his history or science, or if it's a book, because I still do read alouds to them. Um, 
they still read their own books. And sometimes they read. I do too. It's fun to do both. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, the writing could be about anything that he has personal experience with because my, I'm trying to make sure he knows grammar. He can do, you know, comparison and contrast. He can do, um, all that stuff, but on subjects that he has personal knowledge of, which for a young child, they don't have life experience. So I don't really know how they're supposed to write some of these abstract, um, creative writing prompt thingies. But so when I say that manage your expectations, my son couldn't write when he was five or four or six or seven, he physically couldn't write. And I had to accept that his fine motor skills were just a little behind everybody else's. Right. We did a lot of one, I have one kiddo with vision issues and we've done a lot of dictating so that her brain still has to go through that logic process of presenting information. And I just, I'm her scribe, just write it all down. So you're, so you're, so yeah. So you, you determined what your end goal was Mm -hmm. and you figured out a way to get there because there's more than one way. My son, same thing. I had to give him the headset that I'm on right now. And he dictated for a long time until his hand could write what his brain was trying to say. Um, because for a long time, he just, the hand couldn't move as fast as the brain and he would get frustrated. And right. so, but because the, the, the goal was to get the writing done and he could dictate a whole page and then he could go back with his hand and edit it and then correct it on the computer. So, yeah, so managing expectations is key. And so yeah. really understanding what is it that you're trying to get at and the best way to get to it. And there's always, there's pretty much always more than one way to get to it. We're just so locked into our traditional thinking yeah, that it's hard it's, for us to get there sometimes. It is hard. I do think we've locked ourselves into a mindset. Um, you know, when you look historically at education, like if we, if we all were in a time machine and went back a hundred years, transportation looks very different than it does now. Communication possibilities look different. Travel looks different, right? So much about our world is different except the classroom, which is almost yes. identical. And I have said, this, I have said this yeah. very thing, um, <laughs> in my workshops. I'm sure you have. Education. So it's time for us to think about it differently. Yeah. And That's a good thing. Um, And so when you're talking about managing expectations, uh, I think that's spot on. And, uh, you know, I would even, you know, push it out on its short detour, which is to think about streamlining. I welcome our kids into that expectation process so that we can streamline. And by that, I mean, um, you know, some parents are always worried, but what if I can't get him to do the work? It's like, okay, I have a conversation with my fifth grader. He's, you know, it's a boy and he's able to to handle that. He's of average, you know, fifth grade boy maturity. And I can sit down with him and say, okay, the state is going to want us this year to do these four following things. They want you to read a biography about somebody famous. They want you to do a science project, understanding DNA. They want you to do a writing assignment where you have to um, have a persuasive essay and, uh, you know, a historical timeline. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of work and I'll put them all down. It's like, we've got a semester to do it, but this is on deck for the semester. You can do all four of those assignments, or I will let you read the biography of Rosalind Franklin. And you can write me a persuasive essay about why she should be listed mm-hmm. alongside Watson mm-hmm. and Frick. Mm-hmm. And that accomplishes all the goals of those first four things in one assignment. Mm-hmm. So which one do you want to do? And now, <laughs> right. We would go back to the power of choice. You were talking about in the beginning, Absolutely. either way. 
I'm winning. Either way, I get a kid Absolutely. who's doing the stuff the state requires. He's winning because now he's like, I'm not doing four assignments. I'm doing one paper. <laughs> Thank you very right. much. Um, and so it's not like I'm trying to trick my kids or fool them into doing their work, but I am inviting them to be a part of the decision-making process in a way where I'm happy with any of the choices they pick. Not doing the assignments is not one of the options. <laughs> well, I think that that's key, especially when you have middle schoolers that they're get, they're at an age where they developmentally need and want more autonomy. And we have to mm-hmm. find ways to give that to them <laughs> yeah. while still accomplishing the goals. <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like, I feel like we've been doing it since they were two, just in different ways. Like I'm, I'm sure you had these moments with your two-year-old when, when, you said, which pair of shoes do you want to wear outside? Knowing full well in your mind, they'd rather go barefoot. <laughs> but because you said, which pair of shoes? It's like, oh, well, I want the blue ones and not the red ones. Right. Great. Right. Either way, I'm winning because you're yes. wearing shoes. So I don't care what color they are. Exactly. Same deal. Hasn't really changed that much. Just, just at school books and not, and not shoes. <laughs> so so then um, I do want to get back to though your personal story. Uh, but before we do that, you kind of hit on this earlier. So how do you think parents should maintain their own sense of health and well-being during the season when they're asked, being asked to stretch beyond the norm and they're balancing career and homeschooling? You talked about, you know, community and child care. Is there anything else you'd add to that that's like, here's a tiny bit of something you can do just to keep your spark alive in your marriage and your, in your soul and yourself um, that you'd recommend? Yes. Um, I'd say the first thing is, and I know it's different in different places, it's cold in some places. And, but the, the first thing I say is try to get outside every day. Um, because there's nothing more therapeutic than fresh air. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You guys don't have fresh air out there probably right now. We're in the middle. It's it's still a good point though. We miss it because we're in wildfires, but they'll they'll go away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my my brother also lives in the Bay area. Um, so yeah. Um, but as much as, as you can, even if it's cold, just bundle up, um, get outside and get fresh air. I don't care if it's walking around the block, just getting out and doing that exercise together as a family mm-hmm. can do wonders. So we did that when we were, when we were first locked in and it was really amazing how beneficial it was for everybody, especially with my husband being home because he was not home a lot before. And usually it's me and the kids and to have dad come along with a walk or a bicycle ride. Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, it would pay huge dividends. The kids have gotten so much closer to him and he's actually gotten more engaged with them kind of doing some of the, I'm going to say air quotes, boring stuff that we would, yeah. <laughs> you know, that we used to do um, going for hikes and things like that. It's, it's really helped. So that's first thing I'd say is get outside. Um, and my husband told me I'm not allowed to be on my phone after a certain hour because I would close the computer, <laughs> but I wouldn't turn off. Yes. <laughs> so I would say after your kids go to bed, you know, for your, for your marriage, you've got to turn it off. He has a hard time turning it off because his office is now in our house. Yes. Uh, he's still working from home. Um, for, for, for your relationship, you've got to set a time and turn it off and just turn it off. Watch that movie that you hate. I had to watch Bad Boys last night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you yeah. know, but tonight he's watching Greenleaf. So there you go. <laughs> so, Straight off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so really, you, you know, it's one of those things. But then the other thing, and this is a big thing because I'm OK with a little mess. My husband is not. 
but since we're all in the house all day, mm-hmm. messy. Yeah. And for the non-messy person, that can be really, really stressful. Mm-hmm. And then he's stressed out and then it stresses me out because now he's yelling at everybody. And yes. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is nothing. <laughs> so it's one of those things, you know, striking that balance. If you're somebody who has to have everything perfect, you've got to accept that with everybody in the house all the time, everything's not going to be picked up all the time. And also every, in every single room. Yeah. It's, it's just not. Um, so we picked certain rooms where I'm like, yes. my kitchen needs to look picked up. I don't want to see your stuff in here. I don't want to be able to know that I have kids who live here by walking in the kitchen. (laughs) That shouldn't be. Your bedroom is a whole other territory. I'm not going up there, but (laughs) everybody's got to pick their lines. And and don't go, right? Uh, Don't don't invite yourself there. (laughs) So if it's just one of those things, you've got to kind of compromise what's going on inside of the house right now, because, and, and, and you've got to, again, decide what's important. Yeah. Um, and our kids are learning consequences in a whole new way, which is just hilarious because while it probably sounds irresponsible that I'm not checking how clean their room is on a daily, hourly no. basis, um, they will come to me after about nine or 10 days uh, wearing dirty clothes. And all of our kids do their own laundry now. They're eight and up. <clears throat> like that's a thing in our house. You got to do your own. And I said, aren't those the clothes you wore yesterday? Uh-huh. And they're covered in dirt. Uh-huh. So I want you to go change. I don't have any more clothes. Well, <laughs> That's on you. And then we go up to the room and it's like mountains of stuff wadded and wedged and jammed. It's like, yep, you, you've got work to do here today. I can see that. I'll see you later this afternoon. <laughs> right? You know, so, yeah. And that's a good point because we've had to take days to do that too. Yep. Where it's just gone. Days. It's, got, uh-huh. it's just gotten, it's just gotten out of hand. And that, that's another thing, you know, homeschooling families understand that sometimes, even though I have this on the schedule for today, it's just not going to mm-hmm. happen. Because, oh my gosh, if we don't clean this house up today, I'm going to die. And it's okay that you don't do that stuff that's on your list today. Just push the it The grammar worksheet will be there tomorrow. It's not going yes. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so that's another one of those things for, for our, our pandemic schooling families that perhaps you don't have that flexibility if they're online, if they're doing the online school, but you definitely have that flexibility to say, you know what? We just got to, we've got to take a break today. You know, everybody's stressed out. We're going to take a break. We're going to yeah. sit. Or even when the school plans breaks, right? At least for my eldest, their school has what they have a 10 or 15 minute passing period between classes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So great. You've got 10 minutes. Hey, guess what? I want you to clean for 10 minutes. <laughs> Be active. You're physically active. Open up your windows, get some fresh air in your bedroom. Uh, and then by the end of the day, your chores are done and your school's done and you can go outside and play or whatever it is. He's high school. So it's a different deal, but yeah. It's just, it's just, it's figuring out and every family is different, you know, figuring out what works for your family, but just trying to figure out what everybody's going to have to give something. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So, so I know you said you have middle schoolers and, but that, that means the future is on the horizon here. So as a way of closing this out today, Judy, can you tell us what are you doing now? Where do you see yourself going with your career? Um, and then any final thoughts in there, in all that for families? Sure. Um, well, right now, as I mentioned, I work with families to help them just strategically plan their kids' career, uh, high school and elementary and middle school career so that they can ultimately um, get into the college of their choice. And so 
when I'm working with families, it's not just a matter of, okay, we've got this list of classes that we've got to take. It's let's look at your kids' interests and let's see how we can create an academic um, career that sets them on their trajectory that they're wanting to go. And also their outside activities. Um, as you and I talked beforehand, it's so important to find your child's for your child to find their passion and to really delve into that passion, middle school and high school, um, have something really to show for it. It's more than just a, Oh, I did 40 hours of volunteer work. Um, right. And so, you know, kids are going to have to have so much more than that just to get into, to get in colleges. Now, I mean, everybody has good grades. Everybody's got good test scores. If, if, if we're taking test scores, um, so so what are they going to do? to differentiate themselves from that. And so I work with families to help their help them set their kids up for success and in getting in uh, into their colleges by looking at the whole child and finding all those things out, even outside of an academic uh, platform. And I mean, some families that I work with aren't even homeschooling. I'm just helping them outside to mm-hmm. find those passions and uh, put together those passion projects. And so awesome. that is probably what I'm going to continue to do. Uh, I like it a lot better than practicing law. But it, it allows me to still use the planning and the strategy and a lot of the things that I would have used when I was writing contracts and negotiating and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I enjoy, you know, working with kids and seeing success and as opposed to, you know, pushing another piece of paper across my desk. So yes, um, yeah. uh, hopefully I will be able to continue doing that going forward because that it's, it's, it's work that I really enjoy and I'm really passionate about it. That's so awesome. Well, thank you for your perspectives that you've shared today, though, Judy. Uh, this has truly been interesting to hear about your own journey and how I know it applies to a lot of the people listening who are making these hard choices between career and homeschooling and what it really looks like. So thank you so much for sharing that time and your story with us today. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for having me. I had a great time. <laughs> Good. Me too. It's been my pleasure. And thank you, especially, friend, for joining us today. I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining Ann Crossman on our podcast, helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. We invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.